Hello, and welcome to show number 2325 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. You know, you have to be creative and you have to persevere and have grit and be able to analyze and manage risk and uh, coincidentally, all the things that employers say they need in great employees. And today's guest was mostly talking about people who are visually impaired looking for employment, but you know, really, that applies to just about everybody. Kirk Adams is the managing director of Innovative Impact LLC, a venture he started last year, whose mission is to consult with companies to accelerate inclusion for people who are blind in their workforce. We'll talk with Kirk about his background and how he now matches blind job seekers with companies eager to hire. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Kirk Adams. My tip of the week is to use technology to find blind people who are doing what you want to do because they are out there. And um, you know, I live the first 30 years of my life, not connected with any other blind people, really, and lived in small towns, wasn't connected with the Federation or the council. I think connection and building a community is so much easier now, given the tools we have. And um, I would not feel constrained by your dreams of what thriving means to you. Yeah, so a little little story. When I was in high school, Snohomish High School, there were about 30 of us who were kind of the college-bound kids in my senior year. Uh, first period had math analysis. Second period went to physics. Third period went to chemistry. And the chemistry teacher said, no, no, you cannot be in this chemistry class. It's a safety issue. Um, you know, you're going to have to do something else. So I, I sat in the library study hall third period my whole senior year. My parents were teachers. I went home and told them and they said, well, if Mr. So-and-so says, then you know, that that's that. So Again, I wasn't connected with any other blind people or organizations, but now, of course, I know Hobie Wedler, who a, has a chemistry PhD, who's a wine expert. I've met blind people who teach chemistry. Dan Berlin, who I mentioned earlier, was a chemist at Pfizer and uh, became the largest importer of vanilla extract in the United States with his flavors company. So now I know it's not true, and I know that I was being told a lie, and I don't want anyone else to uh, suffer through that. So don't don't take the first answer as the answer. Don't take no for an answer and go out and find people who've done it and uh, let them help you. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Kirk and learning about some of his experiences when he was the head of the American Foundation for the Blind. My name is Dr. Kirk Adams. I am currently the managing director of Innovative Impact LLC, which is really just me I'm consulting with companies to accelerate inclusion of people who are blind in their workforces. And I am a blind person, have been since age five when my retinas detached, became totally blind in a couple of days. So got blindness skills early on and, uh, I found myself in the last 30 years or so really focused on creating employment and career opportunities for other blind people. And before your current position, you used to be head of the American Foundation for the Blind, right? 
Yes. Uh, for six years, I had the privilege and honor of being the president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, which is an organization I have been aware of uh, as long as I can remember. Prior to that, I was the president and CEO of the Lighthouse for the Blind here in Seattle. And uh, I started working there in 2000, became CEO in 2008. And then um, 2012 or so, I was asked to join the AFB board. I was on the board for several years. And then when my predecessor, Carl Augusto, um, informed the board he was going to retire, I discussed it at length with my wife and put my name forward. And I was given that amazing opportunity. So we moved from our quiet little neighborhood here in Seattle, where I am right now, to New York City. The offices were right next to Madison Square Garden above Penn Station. Uh, we found a tiny apartment that we could afford in Brooklyn. So I uh, had my greatest O&M challenge, which was learning to take the F train to the A train and to Penn Station and up to the office every day. And um, conducted a strategic planning process right away, um, helped get things reorganized as the AFB had, was in some financial straits. And closed the New York offices, took them virtual, did a number of other um, things to um, align the finances. And then we opened a small headquarters in uh, Arlington, Virginia, Crystal City. So AFB could be nearer to Washington, D.C. for our public policy work and lived there for three years. And then um, early last year, decided I, I was ready for my next chapter and uh, arranged with the board of trustees for a transition. And I uh, left that role June 30th. We had moved back home to Seattle and started uh, consulting the very next day, July 1st, I started working with my first client on disability employment. Well, that is very exciting. We actually were at the AFB office when it was in Midtown Manhattan. We interviewed your archivist about the Helen Keller archives, and that was fascinating. Yeah, well, I, I tell you, working in that office and being able to walk down the hall and sit at Helen Keller's desk and um, play with her typewriter a little bit and uh, read her grade one and a half Braille Bible volume that was on the desk it was uh, kind of inspiring. It kind of gave me goosebumps. Pretty cool. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is issues related to employment of people with vision loss and the exciting work Kirk Adams is doing to understand and mitigate those issues. Well, Kirk, it sounds like you've been living the blindness experience for your entire life and contributing a lot in the field of visual impairments and blindness. And I understand you actually did your PhD on employment issues for the blind. Yes. Um... Started my PhD program in 2010, and then, as I mentioned, um, moved to New York and took on a new job. So my my PhD program extended several years longer than I anticipated. But the doctorate is in leadership and change, and it's through Antioch University, which is based in Yellow Springs, Ohio. But um, yeah, I did a. It's called Journeys Through Rough Country, and if anyone wants to just a search on the web journeys through rough country kirk adams you'll get a link to the dissertation 
but it was an ethnographic study of blind adults who are successfully employed in large American corporations. I looked for people who would self-identify as successfully employed in companies with a thousand or more employees. So I got to interview people working at Microsoft and Google and AT&T and Facebook and other large companies. It was a wonderful experience to interview people and understand their experiences and then to synthesize the data and see where there, there were some themes and where there were some um, common success factors that people had and some common barriers. So can you give us kind of a summary of what you learned from creating that thesis topic? I mean, you talked to primarily blind people who were employed, so supposedly they had overcome some of the hurdles. Yes, they employed and self-identified as successfully employed. <clears throat> I'd say the two main takeaways, one was that everyone had a very strong sense of internal focus of control or, or self-agency. So everyone felt that they had the ability to shape their own destiny. And uh, AFB is a research organization, and I, you know, I've read the Journal of Visual Impairment and Blindness for years and years. And you know, research shows that as one of the success factors for driving as a blind adult, that people have that strong sense of uh, focus of internal control. And it seems that most of these folks had some sort of either peak experience or a series of experiences that shaped their thinking fairly young, like as a elementary school, middle school, high school age. Um, one woman talked about she and her twin sister who was cited were sent off to a summer camp um, by their parents. And, and uh, part of the camp experience was horseback riding. And they would not allow her to ride the horses because she was blind. They thought it would be too dangerous. So she and her sister sneaked out at night and got out horses, rode the horses. And that was her peak experience. Another person um, living in uh, an urban area got together with a kind of a group of middle school boys who rode bikes up and down the street and did bicycle tricks, like standing on the, the handlebars. And he, he did that. Another person from a small town uh, thought they had blindness skills mastered and were ready to be totally independent. And then they went to a summer training program in a big city and realized their O&M skills were not what they needed to be, but learned how to navigate the city uh, independently. So th there were lots of stories like that. And then the other theme that emerged that was really powerful is, is disappointment. Um, every person expressed some pretty significant levels of disappointment about how challenging it had been to get to where they were, how they were the exception rather than the rule, how they had reached a ceiling or a plateau, and other people who were cited were being promoted beyond them. Disappointment in the struggles uh, to get a proper accommodations, um, things like that. So there were nine different themes, but those were the two that really, I think, stand out. Well, you know, that's very interesting. Over the years, we've done quite a few episodes where we've interviewed people who would fit your criteria as being successfully employed, many of them by major companies, universities, government agencies. To set an example for young people coming up that you can get a really good job if you're blind, there are hurdles, but you can overcome them. 
But we never put two and two and two and two together to come up with those themes. But now that you mention it, um, you know, yeah, we, we've heard very similar things from many of these mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So it sounds like many of these people were pretty take charge people, pretty confident people. And those are the keys to success in some sense, whether you're blind or not. But being blind, it's more important to have and demonstrate those skills, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I say, the title was Journeys Through Rough Country. So, yeah. you know, you have to be creative and you have to persevere and have grit and uh, be able to analyze and manage risk and uh, coincidentally, all the things that employers say they need in great employees. So, um, another thing I've been thinking about a lot is how the lived experience of blindness allows us to develop very strong skills and characteristics in areas that are very necessary for successful employment. And if you read a book like The Talent Code, uh, that talks about how human capacity is developed through challenges. And depending on the challenges, people develop various uh, pathways in the brain and various uh, areas of the brain become stronger. It just all makes a lot of sense to me that people who've managed to flourish and thrive as a blind person will have developed the skills that will allow a very successful life as an employee or an entrepreneur. All of which is very true. And yet, as I'm sure all our listeners know, unemployment is rampant among people with visual impairments because not all of the hiring managers understand what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's lots of factors um, that lead to this problem. It's a complex problem, so there's no one simple answer. The employer attitudes is certainly one. But it's interesting, there was a research study done at Mississippi State where they asked employers and vocational rehabilitation counselors what they felt was the main barrier to successful employment for people who are blind. And the vocational rehabilitation counselors said employer attitudes. The employers said lack of understanding on the part of vocational rehabilitation of what the employers need, uh, what their actual business needs and operations were and the types of training people needed and the the types of skills people needed. So they they had uh, very different answers to the same question, and both are probably true. It seems to me that they could fix both problems if they just talked to each other. Yeah. Yeah. When you think of a sighted employer thinking about hiring a blind person, they don't realize the problem-solving skills that most visually impaired people generally have because of the life they have to lead. And so they're not open to thinking about solutions or even expecting that solutions can be found. Yeah. And I had that experience. You know, I, I was a good student. I graduated uh, from Whitman College here in Walla Walla in Washington State with an econ degree and a four point in my major and cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa. And started applying for jobs and would send out my cover letter and my resume and get a phone interview and it would go great. I'd walk in for the in-person interview with my long white cane and my notebook with my slate and stylus. <laughs> Confusion would set in over the room. And, you know, I think employers without exposure to uh, successful blind people have no concept, nothing to base their thinking on. And I think they typically sit there and say, um, if I woke up tomorrow and I couldn't see, there's no way I could do the do the job of a financial analyst. 
so then I uh, I started disclosing, which you know that's always a question: at what point in the employment process do you disclose your disability? So I started disclosing in my cover letter and saying I've been blind since I was five. Here's what I have done to accomplish what I have. Here's what I'll use to do this job. And then, and then I wasn't even getting the phone interview. So I, I certainly understand that reality. What happened was I I. Uh, cast my net wider and wider and wider. And I applied for a securities uh, sales position with a firm that underwrote tax-free municipal bonds. And the sales manager had uh, also gone to Whitman College, was also an econ major, uh, maybe 12 years before me. And he called some of the professors that we had in common and, and basically asked if they thought I could be successful at the job. They all said, of course. And so for 10 years out of college, I sold tax-free municipal bonds over the telephone. 50 cold calls a day, every day. Now, it sounds like with your new consulting company, you're interacting with corporations and employers to address some of these issues. Can you talk a little bit about what your yeah. consulting company does? Yeah, and I'll tell you the perfect example. I'm working with a cybersecurity company called NovaCoast, and it's N-O-V-A-C-O-A-S-T.com. There are about 400 employees and they have a goal of scaling their company to say a thousand employees, but they still are having great challenges finding enough talented, qualified, entry-level cybersecurity people to hire. They got connected with Envision, a blindness nonprofit in Wichita, and together they developed a 10-week virtual training program to train people who are blind to be entry-level cybersecurity analysts and sit for their first two cybersecurity certifications. Program is up and running, but they had set it up in the state of Kansas. They were not getting students. And um, a blind gentleman named Dan Berlin, who also lives in Colorado, met them, heard the story, suggested they connect with me. This was shortly after I left AFB. I'm working with them. We've got it uh, set up with VR now in Washington State. Um, we looks like we'll have 15 students here starting in June. Just recently got set up with VR in Florida, uh, also in Indiana and Alabama, working on Arizona, Texas, Ohio. But um, Nova Coast is privately held. The president lives here in Seattle. Um, I met with him last fall for an hour, and he said, yes, let's do this and make this a, a national success. And since then, I've gone to two cybersecurity conferences that Nova Coast convenes. And I've talked to probably 90 chief information security officers from companies like AT&T and Blue Cross Blue Shield and Kaiser Permanente and Pentagon Federal Credit Union, and Chase, and just major players. And they all have the same issue, not being able to find enough cybersecurity um, analysts to hire at the entry level. And um, when I was at AFB, we had a, a cooperative agreement with the Ability One Commission, um, the first phase of which was research and study to identify three lines of business that uh, could lead to knowledge-based careers for people who are blind. And uh, we settled on contract management, telehealth, and cybersecurity. So I had already spent a lot of time understanding how cybersecurity could be a great career field for people who are blind. And then here's this company that uh, kind of exemplifies what we're talking about. They can't find enough talented people to hire. They have uh, an understanding that uh, there are untapped pools of talent 
um, when people are blind and visually impaired. And then now we've created the, the pathway into it. Um, it's called the Apex Program. And the website is www.theapexprogram.com. T-H-E-A-P-E-X-P-R-O-G-R-A-M.com. And if people go there, there's an inquiry form to fill out. And if you fill that out, it comes right to me and uh, gives us great data um, as we find interest in particular states. We'll work with the, the VR um, agencies in that state to get set up so VR can pay for it. And uh, my uh, back of the envelope figuring, making some as assumptions is once I get it up and running at a, a more national level, I think we can look at maybe 400 students a year. When you say VR, you're talking about vocational rehabilitation. Yes, the vocational rehabilitation system. So this is in-person training. It is not. It's virtual. It's online. It's self-paced. There's 200 hours of training. The expectation is the person we completed in 10 weeks, so about 20 hours a week. So that would allow people who are currently in other jobs to do it. And then there is two certifications, Network Plus and Security Plus, that are administered by Pearson View. I've worked with them and the testing is accessible with um, screen reading software and people can do those from home. Some of the jobs will be remote. Some will be on site, depending on the employer. Well, that's really great. This sounds like it really leverages off of your longtime experience and the connections you've made in your career. So you can match these employers with sort of people they hadn't thought about even asking about if they wanted a job before. Yes. And of course, you know that working on computers and things like cybersecurity, that's a great job and very accessible to people who are blind. Yeah. And I mean, it's not for everyone. You have to, it's for people who I like to be very detail-oriented, concentrate for long periods of time. And, uh, but for, for some people, it's going to be a perfect fit. And the average starting salaries for entry-level cybersecurity, uh, $90,000 a year. And there are myriad career pathways that a person can take once once they're in the industry. And if you go to someplace like Indeed.com and put in cybersecurity, you're going to see tens of thousands of openings. It's interesting how this connection seemed to happen accidentally. I mean, I can't imagine a company saying, gee, I can't hire people. Let me look to blindness organizations. But they just happen to connect with Envision, who happen to be connected to you. It was kind of serendipitous. You know, how do you make these connections in general? I think it's really through diversity, equity, and inclusion and looking at those structures. Many, many companies, uh, especially recently, are putting focus and resources toward diversity, equity, and inclusion and uh, social responsibility. Most of them started with race and gender, but now um, some are thinking of broadening their thinking to include people with disabilities. I think it's very similar to what environmentalism was like in the 70s when people started using words like carbon footprint and zero waste stream and lead approved buildings. And um, now it's so common. Everyone knows what those things mean. Uh, every product says they are green. People want to make the green choice. It's feeling like DEI is on that pathway and there's momentum around that. And so when I want to interact with a company, I take a look and uh, try to find out who the DEI leader is. In my dissertation, I talk about this, that if a blind person is seeking employment in corporate America, a couple things to look for. One is, 
does that company's diversity, equity, and inclusion statement specifically call out people with disabilities? Is disability mentioned? Um, that's a small percentage that are, but it's growing. The second would be, do they have a disability-focused employee resource group? Um, many of these corporations who are on this path created employee resource groups, for instance, for women, if it was a largely male-dominated industry, or people of color, um, LGBT, et cetera. So is there a disability-related uh, group? And um, has the CEO and or the board made specific statements around their commitment to disability inclusion? In my experience, if I find an organization company that is doing something about diversity, equity, inclusion, understands it makes them a stronger business um, to be really authentically inclusive, that it's a, a pretty natural, easy conversation to have about broadening their concept to include people with disabilities. And hopefully these concepts will blossom and become more widely accepted and kind of commonplace in the thinking of employers when they're looking for new hires. There's certainly a lot more receptivity than there was 10 years ago and a lot, lot more than there was 20 years ago. Slow and steady, but uh, a long way to go. And let's hope we continue to make progress. Absolutely. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about issues regarding employment for people with vision loss and how to contact Kirk Adams. Well, Kirk? You mentioned a number of resources as we were talking. Do you want to remind people of some of those resources and perhaps where they can connect with you if they have questions? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm ready, willing, and able and would love to talk to anybody about disability employment. So email's great. Kirk Adams, K-I-R-K-A-D-A-M-S-000 at gmail.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Put in Kirk Adams Seattle and I'm the first to come up on LinkedIn. Also, I'm present on Facebook, but not, but not as active. And then, um, again, the, the APEX program. If anyone has any interest in learning more about cybersecurity careers, please go to www.theapexprogram.com and just fill out the very simple inquiry form. And uh, someone from Nova Coast will get right back to you. And remind people of the name of your consulting company. It is Innovative Impact LLC. And after we recorded this interview, we learned about the URL for Kirk Adams Consulting Company. That's at www.innovativeimpact.consulting. And of course, if you're looking for any of that contact information, you can find it in the show notes associated with this episode, which is episode 2325 at our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. And use that search feature on our website to look for shows on employment for the blind. We've done lots of shows about employment, tips for finding a job, places you can find consulting services that'll help you train for jobs, etc. That's it for today's show. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the key to being a successful piano technician. Tuning and repairing pianos is a profession that can be enjoyable and rewarding, even if one is blind. 
We'll talk with DeWald Vandeventer, a blind piano technician in South Africa, about his musical background and training, as well as the ins and outs of his daily work traveling among several neighboring towns to work on their pianos. And when he leaves the house, the piano is always happier than when he got there. I love the sound of my piano after the piano tuner leaves. So thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to catch you next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.